here is singer-songwriter, broadcaster, audio-video artist, entertainment agent, and your host for the Dharmic Evolution. It's the master storyteller himself, James Kevin O'Connor. And welcome back. Glad you guys are here today. Hey, I've got something really rocking. Uh, We get to support the armed services today, specifically the Navy. I'm really excited about this. But before we get to that, have you signed up for the Dharmic Evolution on your favorite platform? Go over to the website, dharmicevolution.com, and do so today, every Friday morning at 4.44 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. The show will come right to your phone. And if you haven't taken advantage of the platforms that we have for you artists, musical voyeurs as well, go to the Dharmic Evolution Facebook community page and you can post your content if you're an artist, an author, a speaker, a thought leader. Do you have a presentation? Maybe you have a TED Talk or a new book or you're playing a gig somewhere or you just did a photo shoot or you're releasing a new single. Post it on there and let the world support you. In addition to that, we now have two Spotify Dharmic Rising Stars playlists up, Akila and Orion. And we're creating a third one and probably a fourth one. So check it out and see if you are on there. There's only 30 artists' songs on there. And with over 300 shows and over 1,000 songs, we'll be creating many more. And if you are on there, even if you're not on there, share the link amongst your brethren, put it on your socials, And uh, see if you can get the love to keep on happening, baby. That's what it's all about, sharing the wealth. So let's find out who is our special guest today on the Dharmic Evolution. And yes, indeed, it is a lady, a young lady, very, very unique and high achiever. Just so exciting. She happens to be a U.S. Navy commander, also an orthodontist a motivational speaker, a world traveler, and reigning international Miss 2020. As a multi-passionate woman, she has learned to not only balance her passions, but use them to make her a better officer. Daughter of the American Revolution, deployed with the United States Navy in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom to Al-Assad, attended the elite Tri-Service Orthodontics Residency Program at Wilford Hall Medical Center, a keynote speaker at STEM, which is Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics, conference to over a thousand middle school girls for the Department of Defense in Japan and Italy. So you better strap up your seatbelts because we're taking a ride today from Nashville, Tennessee, all the way to Japan to hang out with Commander Corinne Devon. Commander, welcome to the Dharmic Evolution. What an honor. Well, thank you so much, James, for having me. I'm truly thrilled to be here. How is life back in the USA? It is actually getting very good, and I'll tell you why. My son is in Austin, Texas. He's a singer-songwriter like myself, and I just saw a post from the governor of Texas said, that's it, we're done um, on March 10th. Uh, no more masks, and all businesses open 100%. So. I'm really feeling that uh, this thing is starting to like lose its grip on everybody. And um, I've just been really concerned about the depression that's happening with so many people. And uh, it's time for us to come out of this. So the weather's starting to turn. Since I'm in the South, it's a little earlier. But, um, but I think things are very hopeful right now. I couldn't agree more. In Japan, we just re- released a new map through our base. I'm hailing from Marine Corps Air Station Iwakuni and being an active duty member overseas, we are subject not to the rules of the United States, but also the rules of the country. And it was a beautiful green map, which means there's a lot of areas we can travel through. There's still a couple areas where they just want to keep things at rest and just keep a watchful eye, which is naturally Tokyo, a couple of the prefectures, which think about almost like a state around it. But I am really excited to explore the country. We still wear masks. We do still do social distancing. If anyone has ever come to Japan, they know it is the cleanest country they've ever been to, but they can't find a trash can to save their life just because the Japanese, that that's just, that's how they, that's how they work. It's they won't they leave trash cans on the street. Is that right? Wow. They don't even, there's even a recycle system. So I actually have five different trash cans, but most of my colleagues have seven to eight. So 
They're very methodical on how they use things, dispose of things, recycle things. Most people don't realize that Japan is the size of California, but with a third of the population in the U.S. So wow. there's a lot of people here. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I know. I see the photographs. I haven't been to Japan, but I'm, I'm uh, you know, to give it some context, uh, you know, I'm, I grew up, you know, in New Jersey and going to the city all the time. And you see the subways and what the cars look like. And then you see the pictures in Japan. It's like not a... There's not a, a dust mite on their cars. It's like, what graffiti? They, we don't, we've never heard of graffiti over here. You know, it's really. They, yeah, they just don't believe in it. Uh, they're very much of a group mentality. But with that group mentality, you have some very strict zero tolerance rules. So, for example, in Japan, if you have a drip of alcohol and you're pulled over, not only do you, do you get a DUI, but so does everyone else in the car. Wow. Wow, they know so, how to put the teeth into this. This is it's it's probably why they're so, uh, you know, it's such a civilized society and, uh, and so different than the states. I mean, you know, it's yes. a little crazy. And they drive on the other side of the road, just yeah. like they do in England. So yes, very very different, but very sweet, very humble, very respectful. It's it's probably one. It is probably up there with Singapore. It's one of the wealthiest countries in Asia, and you can definitely appreciate why living here. Yeah, so, yeah. Let me ask you. I wanna I wanna turn things uh, back to your your uh, past a little bit. How does one get to be a commander in the United States Navy? I mean, we'll start with that. I mean, you have so many things that you've done in your short life. I mean, I just I just commend you for. Um, you know, having the tenacity and the drive and the ambition and the inspiration to do all the things you've done. But, um, you know, a, a woman in the, in the United States Navy and a commander, um, how, how did it start for you? It's amazing. Well, I would say it's not without a lot of discipline, a lot of mentors and a lot of tough love. I am truly honored and feel very blessed to be in the position I am. And and again, the, just so everyone else in the audience knows, these are my views, not the views of the Department of Defense. So I'm happy to share my story of, of how I got there. So when I was going to college, I wanted to go to dental school and getting to dental school is tough, but then also the bills to foot for higher education are even tougher. I'm not sure if most of your audience knows, but a lot of my colleagues graduate after you know college, dental school with residency or a fellowship. You're into anywhere from three hundred thousand to a million dollars, depending on where you go to school, how long your school, your residency programs are. Some residency programs don't pay you; you pay them. Yeah. And with that, I really explore the options of you know how can I get this funded? Do I want to be in student loans, paying that off well into you know 10, 15 years down the road, or do I want to explore you know a way of getting a scholarship? And so, my father had served in the military. I really enjoyed growing up on military bases. He got out right before I started high school. And I started exploring to see what was there. And there's a program called the Health Profession Scholarship Program. The Army, the Air Force, and the Navy all offer this program. It's a fantastic deal. I'm happy to connect any of your audience who's interested in exploring this option. And the beauty of it is I get to wear scrubs. I'm called doctor. I get to you know, provide care for our active duty and their families. So all these people who catch my bullets, who jump out of airplanes, who go on these ships on these nine month deployments, which sometimes I get to join them on these as well. I get the privilege of having my school paid for, getting a stipend while I'm in school, and then in turn paying that back in years of service. And when you come into military medicine, you know, the Navy and the Army and the Air Force, they all have ranks. There's there's a chain of command, there's a hierarchy. So just like as there is for enlisted of E1 to E9, for officers it's O1 to O10. And for you to hit admiral in the Navy, which very, very few people do, that's an 07. So if you think of our Surgeon General in the Navy, I believe, you know, two stars, three stars, these are these guys are really high up on the totem pole. Yeah. But to get there, you actually come in as an 03. So you kind of come up as someone, the military looks at your four years of college and your four years of medical dental school as almost time in service, even though it's not technically time in service. And they promote us a little quicker than you would if you were in the line community. Line community is what my cousin did going to the academy, JROTC coming in. And as you take on more education and you try to find ways to make yourself stand apart, such as going operational, which means going on deployments on a ship, Iraq, Middle East, you name it, Africa, you get promoted and we get graded. So just like report cards that you had in high school and in college, we have those in the military, they're called fit reps. And learning to shine, learning to be a good writer, learning to have a lot of people look at them because 
a board gets together in Memphis, Tennessee. It's kind of, it's a secret board. You don't really know who the board members are when they meet or the people recording. They put us up and we are ranked against each other in our respective communities, dental corps, medical corps, nurse corps, and only so many people promote. And I'm very lucky to be in a community where a lot of people do have, it's got a very good promotion rate. And I'll be honest, I was very nervous when I was up for commander because I had moved duty stations. I actually got a two week notice to leave San Diego and move to Italy, two weeks. Wow. Get pack my stuff up, sell my car. I think I sold my car to CarMax the day before I flew out, had a friend drive me to the airport and then I left. And being a new kid on the block, as I would say at a new base where this was kind of my last report card before the board, I was very, very nervous, but I was very blessed. I've had some wonderful, wonderful bosses and leaders who've been very supportive. And have also told me what I need to do. And that's, that's, con that's continuing what I do. And I tell everyone in life, if it requires a lot of discipline, it requires you doing, you know, what, not what you maybe want to do, like hit the snooze button, but actually what you know you have to do to get there. Yeah. And that's, that's been my journey. That is something from San Diego, where they say it's the, the most, the worst weather because it's so boring. It's the same every day. It's beautiful. And then you go to Italy after that. It's like, wow, that's amazing. So take me through like your, your current day. Like how does your day go right now um, where you're stationed? Are you, are you on a ship right now? Like, no, no, I'm actually not in a ship. So as an orthodontist, uh, I, I volunteer to go on ships, but they do not have us located on ships. They have us in billets. Billets are, think of that as a job location. And okay. I am predominantly at hospitals or large commands. And right now I am part of their dental battalion, which is based in Okinawa. Okinawa is an island that's a two and a half hour flight away from me here in Ibukuni because I'm outside of Hiroshima. And a typical day for me starts at 4.15 in the morning. That's when I wake up. I actually work out before work because I find the day will get ahead of me. And for me starting, that's my day of, my way of waking up. That's my caffeine, my endorphins. So my day usually starts with that. I'm at work by 6.30. Some days I have a meeting with my boss because I'm one of the two department heads getting important information. I'm in charge of all of the dental specialists. So that's our exodontist, our endodontist, our pediatric dentist. So all the people at the for the base that provide those specialized dental services are who I'm in charge of. And then I start seeing patients. So my first patient is at 7 a.m. And that goes till about 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. And some meetings are sporadic and there are some awards boards, some manning boards, ways that I can really make sure that I'm setting my people up for success, ensuring that they are getting acknowledged and recognized. Because within my, I actually haven't met my boss boss, my commanding officer, he's in Okinawa. So yeah. I've got to really make sure that we are not forgotten, that we really are making an impact and we're really showing the command, the talent and the drive of, of my company. Do you find that that's a really, that sounds like a very intense day because you're working on people from seven to four. Um, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty intense, no? It, it can be, it yeah. can definitely can be. And that and that's why I start my day with a workout because yeah. for me, that is something that really keeps me going. Another thing that I started incorporating my day is I take 15 minutes to write. So right now I'm working on a book and I found that if I just shut my door for 15 minutes, put on my noise cancellation headphones and I focus on that, that's a really good way for, you know, some people it's meditating. Yeah. For me, just I'm, I don't wanna say I'm a moving med meditator, but I'm more of a writing, you know, yeah. just to get that get that off and i just find that it just gives me a sense of calmness and peace so that way you're right when the crazy stuff or you know things come my way in different directions i feel better equipped and able just to respond than to react yeah that's a very powerful uh you know um arsenal you know thing to have in your toolbox i do the same thing it's like my first 30 to 45 minutes are our prayer and meditation every morning and then it goes into writing from anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes and something about the you know if you're a morning person that's a sacred time it's just like you get so much done and i used to box like early early morning we called it the breakfast club and you'd go through your day like like it was nothing you know because you were so energized so i, I like that first thing in the morning it's really really great so yeah. tell me tell me about um when you are like coming let's say you're done for the day and do you have meetings at night when is chill time for you when it's chill time for Corinne? Yeah, do you, uh, you don't have any, do you? It depends on the day, yeah. 
I, well, just like any woman, I love getting a manicure. I love getting a sports massage. So for me, those are things I look forward to doing after working hours. But honestly, on the weekends is when I get a chance to decompress. So because I am in Japan, and just to put things in perspective for your audience, most of my family is in California and Nevada. So that is 17 hours ahead of, I'm 17 hours ahead of them. Yeah. So usually the best time for me to catch them is in the morning. So Saturday morning is definitely after I get to work on it is when I get a chance to relax, call my family, get a chance to see my nephew, catch up with my friends. And for me, that's really what I enjoy my weekends for. And then also I love to travel and explore. So last weekend I went to a place called Little Hawaii in Japan where it's an hour drive away and I saw beautiful sandy beaches. We ate at a restaurant where I, I thought again, I thought I was in Oahu. So for me, it's the travel, the exploration, the discovery, the venture. That for me is the chill time of just unwinding from the office and really just getting out and, and seeing the world. Yeah, 50 countries, I understand. you've uh, Yes, 50 in. countries. And even in the pandemic, I went to 10. But that was um, that was definitely challenging because you never knew if the rules or the travel restrictions would change. But yes, I being in Europe and being stationed in Asia, because I've, I've spent over half my career overseas. So when you when you live overseas, it's a lot easier to travel to other countries. Like I, I tell my friends, you know, an hour and a half flight for you guys from San Diego to San Francisco. For me, that's to Korea. Yeah. It's so, yeah, it's so different. Um, when I was in Europe, you know, a lot of the people were telling me that the same thing. It's like, you know, you just buy a rail pass, you know, which uh, you can do that and just go or just take flights. And it's just so, it's so easy to do, to get around and it's inexpensive, you know, it's like not, not a big deal, you know, to fly from, from London to, you know, to Italy or to Germany, wherever, you know. It isn't. It isn't. It's and it's surprisingly cheaper than the U.S. I, I definitely for, I've gotten used to the prices overseas. One thing that we actually have here in Japan that I haven't really seen in Europe at the same level. Europe does have high speed trains, but Japan's trains are even faster and they're called the Shinkansen. Yeah. And it looks like something out of like a, a space machine. Uh, these trains are so quiet, so smooth. Yet they go so fast that when you sit at the window, you feel like the world is just passing you by. It's incredible. So that's one of my favorite things to do to explore the countryside is get on one of those trains. Yeah, I love riding trains. I think that's my favorite mode of transportation. I haven't done it in a while, but, uh, you know, one of my favorite places in the world uh, for that is uh, Grand Central Station, you know, in New York. Uh, it's just so beautiful. And, um, you know, that's the hub and you just look at all the marble and the tile and it's just something, it's like a fairy tale, you know. Very romantic, but what are the what are the speeds up to now? With the I know they were like up getting close to two hundred miles an hour. These Japanese trains, they seem to have a lock on how to build these things. They do. Is just they are so methodical and really just are always thinking of the next step ahead. So I I've been told they actually can get up to three hundred fifty miles an hour, and I I don't doubt it. But they are on time very often. If they are late, they'll they'll be apologizing. You'll have a notice. But you, I have done the situation of where you can't even. You're leaving one train, and then the next train on the other platform is there waiting for you, and you have to get on the first door you see right away because otherwise the train will leave you. Yeah, uh, they're just very, very, very much on time. To be early is to be on time in Japan. So. If anyone comes here, that is something the Japanese will be very upset if you're not punctual, if you do not bow, if you take a business card and put it away. Those are just a few very, very things that will make a difference. And also they're very big about giving gifts, a small gift. So nothing too expensive. So they have these gomenasai, which means I'm sorry gifts. So if you leave work and you're gone for a week, you're expected to bring a gift back to people at work. Now it could be you bring a box of chocolates and you put it in the break room or you get something small like a pen but it's it's a way of saying okay i know you covered for me while i'm gone so again they're a very group culture and it's kind of fun i i really have enjoyed some of the the neat things some of the things i i don't even know what i eat half the time here because i can't even understand them any but it's fun and yeah. it tastes good <laughs> so so um so are you like when you finish your day are you able to go anywhere or is, are you guys in kind of lockdown still over there like like for your evening can you go to a coffee shop or anything like that or yeah so we yeah. can so we were in a bit of a lockdown so the japanese and just our base you know we want to make sure you know we are guests in their country so we do abide by their rules so if there's any sort of like rise or spike in cases you know we will hunker down we won't go out to restaurants 
the um, it never got it was like that before I got here. But once I arrived, we just were limited on how many people we could go to restaurants with or it was really set by our unit. But no, I've I've really had a chance to explore all sorts of different types of cuisines right now. It's these having these Facebook groups with Americans and someone will be like, oh, hey, I found the best burger place and it's called the broccoli grill. The broccoli grill is the best burger place. Okay, so it's just different types of food, or shabu shabu, or yakiniku, or the this town that I went to that's about two hours away, where it actually had the blowfish. And most people think that blowfish, if it's not prepared correctly, is actually quite deadly. It was probably some of the best fish I've ever had in my life. I mean, literally anyone who says they don't like sushi, I tell them come to Japan. It is like almost eating a good steak. You're you are you're almost jaded to go back to the U.S. and try because you never knew fish could taste the way it tastes here. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. So yeah, no, I have definitely have taken full, um, you know, every chance I can to explore. I I definitely do it. So you know, I'm looking forward to tomorrow going to Hiroshima, which I haven't been able to do for a while with some friends. So now do you have like a, an idea of where you will go next from here or will you stay there, you know, for a predetermined time that they've, they've already told you you're going to be here until X before you travel somewhere else or go home? Like what is the plan after Japan? So I actually, so my orders are here for two years. Okay. So next late summer, early fall, I will be going back to the United States. So I actually did two back-to-back overseas tours. In our community, usually you do you go back and forth overseas stateside, but just, you know, the nature of the military, the needs of the military, I'm in a very small community. This is where they need me to go. So this is where I am. And as far as going back to the States, it's looking like I'll either be in San Diego or DC, but I'll be honest, San Diego is where my heart is with all my family. It'd be nice. I I haven't had Christmas with my family in about five years. So I'm really looking forward to, and I'm still a kid in my family. So I'm looking forward to spending time with my parents, my aunts and uncles, my, my brother, his wife and my nephew. So yeah, so that's what I'm looking forward to most in 2022. Well, I'm going to say a prayer for San Diego. I love that place. I was there a couple of years ago. It's just so beautiful. Um, let's talk about your pageant career. Um, we, we covered a little bit about the Navy and a little bit about um, uh, the orthodontist world. But how, you know, how did the pageant work its way in here? Um, and what was, the, what was the motivation? Obviously, um, uh, you, you're very, you're very attractive, and you're very well spoken, and you seem to have this um, this drive of energy inside of you that uh, you need to share with people, which which is you know comes right across. So, was there someone who suggested, or how did it how did it work for you that you just suddenly found yourself in going to pageants? I never dreamed I would ever do a pageant. I got into pageant as a complete dare from some jerk in my dental school who told me I couldn't do it, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> it, it really did happen that way. I was in my second year of dental school watching um, one of my friends tell me about how she watched the Miss USA patch the night before. And the second runner up was a dental student from North Carolina. And she's like, Corinne, I think you could do this. And I'm like thinking like, I don't know, these girls are like, six feet tall. I'm only five foot three. Like I have never done that. I mean, I never grew up doing that. I grew up in a military family. Do you think my father would have me pageants? No way. I was playing softball. I mean, the closest thing I got to do was um, baton trolling in parades, but that was it. I mean, and even that that's in formation. You have, you know what I mean? You're being led by someone. So, you know, this guy listens to our conversation and is, and basically unbeknownst to me, he's just like, Crane could never do that. So I just turn around. I'm like, Oh, watch me. Like, and so that year I had zero clue what I was doing. I didn't even know what it meant to answer, you know, some of these, you know, very sporadic methodical questions of like world peace. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, that'd be great. Then my whole family wouldn't be deploying and my friends wouldn't be leaving on like, you know, for me, that's an occupational benefit, but I end up getting first runner up and I all of a sudden discovered a whole new world. And I started seeing some things that I could really glean from it. And really what was the the clincher, I would say, was in my third year when I was starting to get a bit jaded and, you know, just like any hobby, you, you meet some people in it who are really great and you meet some people where you, you prefer not to meet them, see them after that event. Yeah, I met a really good friend and she, like just the camaraderie that I felt, just the the way that she really took me under her wing and we're still wonderful friends today. 
I was just like, wow, like I haven't felt this way since I was a kid in the military, like that camaraderie, that sense of just looking out for each other and helping each other out with barely even knowing each other. And so that year, my third year, I went Miss Nevada and then I went into the Navy and my first week was with my Navy boss asking him, hi, I know I just checked in, but can I take a week of vacation to go back and compete (laughs) at this pageant in Las Vegas? And he said, yes. He loved it. He's like, you know what? I think this would be great for your career. It's going to teach you how to answer tough questions under pressure. It's going to teach you how to interview better, how to go into boardrooms and be very clear, articulate and give a lot of clarity and confidence in how you communicate. And so I was really blessed to have such a wonderful, wonderful mentor. Thank you, Captain Molinero. I love you. Such an amazing mentor who's still in the Navy. And from that, I started really seeing the value of pageants and I competed at another large pageant, met these girls from the South who literally, because I I didn't bring enough clothes, these girls would change three or four times a day, literally took the clothes off their back and gave it to me. And then said, why don't you come visit us? And so I started seeing different parts of the country. I started meeting women that I would never met. And so for me, what pageantry has kind of blossomed is, I started learning that with anything in life requires preparation. I got an interview coach. I learned that first impressions are key. It's something I tell all women in pageantry. You really have to know who you are and be confident and not feel you have to apologize if your answer doesn't agree with the person you're speaking with, as long as you, you know, you feel acknowledged and you also appreciate them and acknowledge and listen to them. And then it also sprung into getting training. So in the military, I'm required to be in good physical shape, but in pageants, oh my goodness. I'm in way better shape. I tell all my military pals, I'm like, listen, I don't see you straightening across the state in a swimsuit. I know we have to run and do push-ups and, and sit-ups, but the diet, the fitness I do for these pageants, man, I'm getting in better shape for, for them than I am in the military. Really? So it works out great because I have to do that for my job anyways. And then on top of it, as you move up in rank, more is expected of you. So next week I'm in charge. I'm the officer in charge, the acting officer in charge of the clinic. I am going to have to get up in front of 60 or 70 people multiple times and speak, speak with confidence, speak where I am radiating energy and making the people that work under me feel empowered. That is what pageantry has done for me. And very often I see wonderful leaders in the military, but they haven't had that training of learning how to speak, learning how to be charismatic, engaging and gregarious with the people they're speaking with. And what happens is sometimes their message get muddled because they're very monotone, only speaking the same way or saying, um, and not feeling confident. So I always tell them, listen, you want, I'll help you. I'll help you get to that way because what you say is so important. And because of all the distractions or all the filler words, it lessens the meaning of your message and what you have to say matters. So for me, that's what pageantry has done for me. And I love to compete. I hope to compete after I give up my title, but it just, depends right now uncle sam is not really allowing us any of us really to move without the permission of a one-star admiral or general so knock on wood i'm fully vaccinated so i'm hoping later this year i have the pleasure of uh crowning my successor and hopefully competing again so you are um your current title is um m miss international is that correct Mm -hmm. wow yeah. You got so many here. I have them all listed here, and I'm like, wow, this is so. So I would think that the enrollments um, for the U.S. Navy went up like a hundred percent when they found out that they had a pageant winner. <laughs> I hope like- so. I've done some stuff with Navy recruiting, and you know, I have to tell you, James, I am not the only one. There is several other women I've met. A former former uh, Miss USA is an Army Reserve captain. I'm not sure if she's still in the reserves. And again, in, in the reserves versus active duty, the rules different. Army versus Navy, the rules different. So one thing that I've become very mindful and good as I have a lot of friends who are JAGs, who are military lawyers, because you know my first job is to be a naval officer. I love what I do. I love serving, and I want to make sure I am kicking butt doing that before I take on anything else, because that's the last thing that I want is to come into question is my obligations or my allegiance. And in the in pageantry, there are certain things that also come with that responsibilities. I treat it as a job. And that's, I feel that's one of the reasons I've been so successful is that when my year's over, my crown has fallen apart. My banner looks like it needs to be washed a thousand times, just because to me, that's my responsibility as a title holder, not only to promote the system, but also to give back to so many people who gave to me to get to where I'm at today. 
Well, you've done you've done so many things with this. I mean, I saw some of your videos where I believe you were in Morocco, was it, with these little kids? Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah, that was. Tell us that story. That was amazing. What you were teaching them how to recycle something. What What was that about? So I took a trip to Morocco. I took vacation time and got permission from the Navy to go to Africa for a week. And I went with a company called Cross Culture Solutions. And they put me in an area called Azro, Morocco. So it's outside of the city Fez. It's not a rural community, but it's definitely not a, a large city by any means. I was positioned to teach at a elementary school of children between the ages of three to five. I had about 100 kids for half a day, which was a lot, and they didn't speak English. All they spoke was Arabic and French. I am fluent, obviously, in English, but I am not fluent in French or Arabic. So in the afternoons, that's what I would study since I do speak some Italian. By no means do I concern myself, you know, fluent in Italian or Japanese, but just words that I picked up from being in both the countries. And it was really, it was really tough. I'll be honest. There was so many things that these kids would say that I didn't understand, but I found that when you teach children at a young age, you have to teach them in different ways. And one of the reasons that you saw me use some sort of recycle gifts is that for my entire week in Morocco, all I could bring with me was a European size carry-on bag. So I had to be incredibly strategic in what I brought to these kids. So one of the things that I used and used in different ways is I had them use tongue blades. So one day we would do, we would look at each other's teeth and be able to count teeth or understand what your, your teeth did. To the next day, they would take those tongue blades home, wash them, and then they would usually make figures to understand, you know, how do you call your mom, your dad, brother, sibling, home, family. And we did a lot of activities where I would start with a lesson, teach them a few concepts, have an activity, and then also have a song. So my laptop, I downloaded a bunch of videos where the kids could sing along, like head, shoulders, knees, and toes, different hello song, different things that really could engage them and teach them different, give them some different concepts than their teachers. The day I left, the kids were crying. The teachers were crying because in their culture, only women can really teach there. And outside of there, I had to be very mindful. I actually had a bodyguard with me wherever I went, just because being a very blonde female in a, even a very liberal country in Morocco, liberal Muslim country, you just have to be, I couldn't smile anyone because they would take that as a form of flirtation because of what they've watched oh, in Western yeah. movies. So it was wow. very much, you know, you you hear the call to prayer five times a day. I wore very loose clothing. I mean, I, I didn't have to wear something around my hair per se, but you had to be very, very conservative and very respectful. And that's their culture. I'm a guest in their country. So to me that that's what i did but yeah. yeah it was it was a great trip the kids kids were great i actually got sick when i was there but the kids made me forget about it at least for most of the day and then at night i would just sleep a lot <laughs> so <laughs> what was the most memorable um country for you um as far as like just feeling good um is there one that one or two that stood out like out of all the countries you've been to that you just thought this is so remarkable to be here Gosh, that is like asking me to pick out my favorite shoes in a closet. I don't know if anyone could say I only have one pair of favorite shoes. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I'll, I'll give you one country that I have some wonderful memories from, and that was actually Cambodia. It's not a country most people would probably list, but for me, it was my first chance to explore a country outside of Asia with a group of friends who I'm still good friends with today where we went to Angkor Wat and we saw history such as the killing fields. And we had a chance to go through these temples and meet these monks. And again, it was the month of April. We were sweating profusely. I remembered, I mean, four o'clock in the morning, you were just dripping in sweat, but you had to be fully covered. Your arms had to go, your, your sleeves had to go with your arms, your pants had to go all the way to your ankles because these temples required that level of cons- of um, respect. Yeah. And so, but I remembered we would wake up at the crack of dawn just to see the sunrise and then go back to wherever we're staying, jump in the hotel pool, cool off, take naps, and then go at sunset. And it was just a remarkable place. I, I don't know how that place is not on one of the seven wonders of the world because of just the history and of when it was built. I mean, we're talking something that's thousands upon thousands of years old that has such religious and spiritual meaning that it's incredible so that would be one memory that has always stood out for me i've heard from i've heard about cambodia is supposed to be 
like the uh, the unsung hero of beautiful countries, and like people are always surprised. But it's um, I've I've read about that that a lot of people um, have been going there because it's just such a beautiful place. Um, it is, it is. And if you ever do go, when I would definitely recommend going with a tour company and the tour company that my friends and I use. And again, no financial interest. They're just someone that I love and adore and have used all over Asia. It's called Buffalo Tours. And I went with three, it was three of us girls, four guys. And I would definitely say you definitely need to be in a group setting. This is not a place I would say to go as a solo traveler. Definitely be with another person in the tour guide just because there was one or two instances where I believe my friend June and I, we went across the street. I forgot to pack a shaving razor. And I remember the guy holding it up in a clear bag with a bunch of razors like, I'm going to get a tetanus shot if I need to use one of those. And then people started almost swarming us because we weren't surrounded with her husband, a couple of the guy friends. Um, We just, you, you tend to stand out. And when people hear you speak as an American accent, you're rich to the rest of the world. We are a very, very rich group. And it just, I don't want to say it makes you a target, but you just have to be really mindful. So it's a place, it's beautiful, I recommend going, but just do so smartly. Yeah. Um, tell me about the book, if you want to share. Like, you're, you're writing a book, you're doing 15 minutes a day. Um, got a title yet? The working title I have is Cover to Crown. So Ooh. cover comes from the word hat in the military. So that is what we call cover. It's what we wear. Right. And in the Navy, because it's not true, Air Force doesn't do this, but in the Navy, we only salute when we are wearing a cover, which is outside. So with any military building, you'll find there's an overhang, which is a place, a chance for us to put when we're in uniform, our cover, which is our hat back on. And crown obviously goes to pageantry crown. And what the book is about so far is just sharing a little bit of my life, the struggles, the, the some of my stories, but also the things I've learned and the lessons that I want to share with other people. So it's a non-fictional, motivational book that I hope to release next February. So it will depend with the Navy because anything you publish that has any material with you being active duty, it has to go through the public affairs. But I'm really exciting. I found a fantastic writing coach because I have to be honest, when I started this process, I had a lot of people last year tell me to write a book. I had no idea where to begin. Yeah. I had no, no clue who to use. And with a lot of research and due diligence, I finally found someone who, just like a personal trainer for an athlete, I found the person who can really make sure that I stay on track and uh, move at a great speed to get some good traction on this. Yeah, I think you will. Good luck on that. Um, I wanted to ask you about the mood amongst your your fellow uh, naval people, like your brothers and sisters in the Navy. Like with COVID and everything, what's the mood right now? Like the day to day, how how are you guys all feeling? Are people upset? Are they just dealing with it? Are they like um, just a general sense of how is it going? You know, for all you. you know- Great question. And such a beautiful question because it's varied for me because I I was in Italy when the pandemic hit before it came to the United States. So that was very different than when I traveled through the States, moving on my way to Japan. So starting in Italy, when it happened, it was like we were in a movie, but we didn't know when the movie was going to end. And it was weird because, you know, again, at that time, it, COVID hadn't hit the United States quite yet. I remember getting off an airplane from France with from a girls weekend. And the next day, the Italy, the prime minister saying that all 66 million, 33 million, I'd have to look at the numbers again, of Italians were quarantined, the entire country quarantined overnight. And we were definitely scared. I mean, now imagine I lived, I have always lived off base. And every time I left where I live, I had to take the risk of getting pulled over by the Cabernet, which are the police for in Italy, to show why it was outside of my house. And it had to be either food, hospital, you know, pharmacy, bank, something that was like a necessity. And fortunately in the Navy, I, I worked at a hospital and I could tell them, oh, lavora d'ospedale in Siganella. Like I work at a hospital in, in you know, on this base yeah. for, the, for the Navy. And it happened to me three times, even sometimes twice in one day, I would get pulled over and we had to have the most up-to-date documentation. And if you've ever been to Italy, they're not known for their organization. They're not known for their cleanliness. They're not known for you know, being very cohesive. But this was actually one time where I saw the Italians really come together and buck her down because especially in Northern Italy, there's Italian towns that are gone. And for me, it was really hard to watch people there whose entire livelihoods depended on tourism, depended on just people, you know, frequenting their businesses that are now shut down. And so 
When you say they're gone, Corinne, you you mean there's just no one left in the town? Is that what you're saying? Correct. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. So Italy is the second country after Japan with the largest, I guess, elderly population, you could say, in in the world. Yeah. And where COVID hit the, the... the greatest impact in Italy was up in northern Italy. So up in the Lombardio and the Venezia regions where they have a lot of factories, that's where it hit and it spread quite quickly. We were, I was quite, I don't want to say immune to it, but we weren't as heavily hit on Sicily. Sicily, you know, as you go further south, the country of Italy gets quite poor. You can see a difference in the economy. And when they, when some of the northern Italians found out they were going to be quarantined, a lot of them came down to southern Italy. And that's where all of a sudden we got a spike in 150 cases overnight. And that's when the sense of fear, the sense of, oh, my gosh, this is a real thing. This is not just something in China. It, this is a tangible thing that's happening. And I would say, it, it, you know, it did take a toll on people. I At first, people were like, yay, I, I get to stay home. But then that novelty of staying at home and watching Netflix kind of wore off. Yeah. And then the fact that we weren't able really to go anywhere. So for me, I I knew we all we all talked about things we could do. So podcast became something we all started listening more of just to have that interaction. For me, I started my day workouts. I would follow people back in the States, join in on their sessions just to feel that I had some sort of interaction. And, you know, since then, you know, being in a hospital, we are exposed to more people. So wearing those N95 masks was was hard. I, I'll be honest, I don't like wearing them. I wear them because I have to wear them yeah. and I need to wear them. But it's you really it's hard to breathe in those things. And it is you don't almost, feel like you're getting enough oxygen. It's horrible. Yeah, just, they it, actually there's they so it reduces your oxygen by about 15% because it is such a good seal. But because it is such a good seal, I remember going up and down stairs wearing them. And I'm like, almost wheezy and you know i'm not running five miles a day but you know i bike i lift weights i can you know get an outstanding on my fitness test i still felt very out of shape wearing those and you know it also meant you were more isolated and where i see the pandemic really hitting people now being in japan is you know we are giving the vaccination out all of us it, it is voluntary it's not required in the military but i encourage everyone who i meet to take it just because it's like me sending you into battle without a flak jacket without a bulletproof vest why would i ever tell you to do that and being overseas you never know who you're going to come in contact with and you never know where you're going to get this and so for us i think people are, are hoping to see the light in the tunnel because you know japan is so well good at following the rules that the caseload here is so less i mean it's less than one percent for the entire population has active COVID cases right now in wow. this country just because people are so good at following the rules so i'm hoping that despite these new variants despite some of these news that I think where it's starting to take a toll on people is people are very anxious to go back home. They feel like they're missing out on life. But I would say in Japan, we actually have more freedoms than some of my colleagues back in the States. We're able to travel within Japan. A lot of my friends back in the United States are not able to travel outside the radius of where they're stationed. I've had friends who've relocated their weddings or canceled their plans, or I have a good friend getting married. And some of our friends were stationed on the other side that just can't go to the wedding. And that's hard. But I guess for us, we all know it's not just us. Everyone's having to do with that. Yeah, it's happening. Crisis. It's happening all over. And listen, as we're getting towards the end, I want to ask you just a couple more things. And one is, um, where do you see like your life going, Corinne? Like over the next, you know, forty-eight months or so, um, or even or even like the five-year plan. Um, are you going to be? Do you think uh, a career military person, or do you think? Do you have something in mind, like a private practice for your orthodontist, or are you just going to continue to uh, to keep your eyes open and, and look for the next uh, thing to add to your arsenal of things? You you, you really need to create a hologram for uh, a, another Corinne, you know, to keep this up, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, something. I um, the next five years, I anticipate that I will be back in the United States. I'm lo- really looking forward to becoming my goal i i am close to career actually will hit 14 years in may being the navy so six more years is what i would hit to actually hit career because i came in pretty young and i definitely see myself staying in the navy making captain that's one of my goals and and serving so if once i get back hopefully fingers crossed to california and doing a tour there i would love to also lead whether that's doing a leadership tour there or going to washington dc where the headquarters is and I'm hoping at that time COVID has died down to where I don't have to wear a mask all the time, that I can 
smile and, and see other people's smiles. But after that, I, I definitely helped to do more speaking. So that's one of the things I've had to put on hold. I would love to be on a TED Talk. And actually, my next scheduled large speech is with the American Association Orthodontist in January 22. So knock on wood, the conference still happens live. It's something that we'll all be able to attend. And that's something I hope to continue once I leave the military someday. I don't see myself owning a private practice, but I love being part of a team. I love being part of a group. That's one thing the military has taught me is being able to share that responsibility so we all can have a chance to unplug, but also to really be in that environment of growing and developing others, as well as pushing myself. Because that's the thing that, you know, as a leader, you learn a lot from the people that you do lead and yeah. you care about them even more than sometimes they'll care about you. But then at the same time, people will surprise you. And for me, that's that's something I really look forward to continuing, whether, you know, I'm make home in California or Texas or Nevada or Arizona. Those are all the places I have my license right now, but really we'll see. And, you know, it depends on, you know, the person I decide to spend the rest of my life with too. I definitely look forward to building that. I just had a vision of um, an office in the Pentagon with your name on it. <laughs> well, we'll see. I might be too much for them. Half the time they call me Malibu Barbie in the Navy, but you know, that's okay. I, I, I do so with a smile and I, I'm happy to bring that energy to them. Yeah. Well, listen, as we're, uh, as we're saying goodbye, I just want to um, ask you if there's anything you'd like to say to our collective audience around the world. And by the way, I wanted to also thank your, uh, your friends uh, who were the nursing staff who recommended that you uh, listen to Dharmic Evolution. That was really sweet of them. So if you ladies are listening, thank you so much. But um, yeah, any, anyone, any particular thing you would like to wish upon uh, our collective audience, uh, a blessing, um, any kind of uh, advice you'd like to give uh, for people who are out there, I guess especially for the younger ones who are unsure of where they're going or what they're doing. This has been a really, really difficult time for young people, especially when they're, they're in that zone of, I don't know quite know what to do with my life. What do I do? So any, any words of wisdom would be, uh, would be wonderful. Yes, absolutely. You know, I would tell them is think about all the things they want to do in their life and start writing down on paper. And if some of these goals seem impossible, like getting into medical school, or they wanted to compete in a fitness competition, or they want to write a book like me, where it's like, oh, I don't even know where to begin. I would tell them, you know, tell me one thing in your life that is great that came the result of being comfortable. Because everywhere I go and everywhere I look, everyone's trying to do things to be more comfortable. They're looking for the more convenient. But I'm going to tell you that if you look at all these successful people that you aspire to be like, that you that they they come from a place of being they come from a place of being uncomfortable. And when you are trying to avoid the pain or the struggle or the the hard things, you are actively choosing to be average. And if you want to be more than average and more than mediocre in your life, then you need to embrace the hardship. You need to embrace the struggle. You need to start really hunkering down and finding people that can also push you because you can't do this alone. Trust me, I know this. I have a village of people. I have a group of mentors. You cannot do this alone. But when you surround yourself with people who push you, they will give you the skills, the mindset, and the tools that will allow you to be relentless in anything you set your mind to. So that would be the message I'd leave your audience. That is awesome. That's what it, that's what it's all about. It's about the work and the determination and the perseverance. So that was beautiful. Thank you, Corinne. It was a pleasure. Um, I've never had a military person on here um, before. This was really a treat for everybody today, I'm sure. And in parting, I just want to wish all of God's blessings on you, your multi-careers, your multi-hyphenated life, and your family, of course. So uh, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you. And right back to you. Um, I really hope that there comes a time where I'm able to travel out to Tennessee because I do have a few good friends there and love to thank you in person. So have a wonderful rest of the day. Well, what did you think? So inspirational. Was she lovely or what? That was awesome. Hey, support everything about Corinne. All the links are in the show notes. Check it out. And that's a wrap for me today. I'm your host for the Dharmic Evolution, James Kevin O'Connor. So until the next time when we meet again, 
I'll either see you on the socials, I'll see you from the stage, but right now, let's ride on. you take a ride with me Ride on, ride on We can untangle all the mystery If wishes were windows I'd open one and find That freedom is really A simple state of Beyond the reach of time 